I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. There. Welcome to On In 5. My name is Anton Ryder. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I've got two of my good friends here. I've got Ethan Bonin and Austin Thomas. Hello. How are you guys doing? I am gravity. Don't mean too much to me. <laughs> That's a good song. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing really, really good. You, you found a new love recently, as uh, as uh, I hear. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll be the first to say it. I'm going to come out. I hated Danger Days for the longest time, but I forced myself to listen to it front to back several times for this, and I'm hooked. Very good. I'm absolutely hooked. I didn't Very even, good. That's going to be my underlying theme for this whole episode. If you were like me and you didn't listen to it just out of some weird elitism or whatever it may have been, give it a few rips because it's fun. I don't yeah. even think I actually listened to it when it came out. Yeah, I listened to Na Na Na, and I I was like, Nope. nope. <laughs> I, God, I love that song now. <laughs> so good. It's a very fun song. Very fun. <laughs> yeah, all the songs are very, very good. And uh, yep. yes, we will get to why the album was made, how the album was made, and what became of the album, and uh, why it's a little different than what the Black Parade was. So, But at its core, is kind of a similar story. Yeah, it's actually very similar. In a very different yeah. way. But Same, but the, different. The basis is there. Yeah, it's kind of the... the oh, I was going to say... What's the what's the Seinfeld reference? The anti Superman, Bizarro. Remember what I'm Bizarro Ooh. Man. Bizarro, yeah. You lost me. Yeah, Bizarro Superman. It's not really a Seinfeld reference. It's more of a comic book reference because <laughs> oh, okay. because you know Bizarro Superman is in the comic books. But yes, it's yeah. it's the Bizarro Superman of uh, of My Chemical Romances tenure because everything they did for the Black Parade, they did the opposite for Danger Days, and I think it sounds that way very much. Yeah, yeah. But we're going to find out with this band that even when they try to do something not that as an art piece, it does not work. <laughs> no, it Literally. doesn't. And if they, and you have to look at this not completely as an art piece because they did go a little bit more loose with it. But mm-hmm. really, there's a whole big story behind it, which you know, gonna, if you like it, you know. It. Yeah, Gerard we're going to get into loves it. to world build. Yes. So when we last le- when we last left the band. They had just finished their exhaustive Black Parade world tour that took them around the world multiple times and helped them reach levels of fame bigger than they had ever thought possible. But maybe had ever even hoped. I mean, they wanted to get big, but they never expected to get this big. And, you know, they had a they had a real epiphany of the grass is always greener. So they really didn't know if they liked the fame where they were at. So when they got done playing at Madison Square Garden, they all went home to decompress for a while, not knowing where the band currently stood. This tour was exhaustive, not only physically, but mentally. Like, they were not sure they wanted this band to keep going at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, they didn't, were they unsure. Thought maybe yeah, it was they thought done, it was over yeah. at a little bit. And I think that they were a little comfortable with it being over. Yeah, I think they were a little relieved. Yeah, so uh, where the band stood for a couple years was comatose with a barely beating heart. Not dead, but also not truly alive. Frank joined a side band called Leathermouth with an old member of Pensy Prep and Black Parade touring pianist James Deweese. They had classic hits such as uh, Fifth Period Massacre, which was about a, a school massacre, and another mm-hmm. song called I Am Going to Kill the President of the United States. 
It was a angsty band. Yeah, we'll it was say. super. It was it's heavy. It was, it was hardcore. It was very yes. hardcore. I listened to it. I liked it. It was very chaotic. And I, I really love EXO, the album yeah. they put out. But I really did not like it the first yeah. time I heard it. When I was when I was super into My Chemical Romance, I was like, "What the what fuck?" Is this? Yeah. Even though I liked like this, I liked chaotic kind of stuff. Like you didn't expect it because I didn't it know was what Frank. To compare them yeah. to, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, didn't like it because of who yeah. it was. And then, and that's the problem that I think Frank was trying to deal with was that he wanted it to be the way to get out his frustrations. And so he made it intentionally loud and aggressive and angry. And he, wanted, he was always the punk, yes. hardcore kind of cog yeah. of this He wanted machine. to move himself as far away from MCR as he could for this project. And the band was hardly speaking at this point anyway, so. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, they just made something aggressive, chaotic, loud. And uh, and I, even when he went on stage, he didn't want his persona to be known as a part of My Chemical Romance. He wanted to be Frank. And even that, he didn't really even want to be that. He wanted to be no one playing the music that he needed to get out his they frustrations. They kept it anonymous for a long time. They said it was a, a band from Spain when they ori- originally released it. If you look it. at the promos yeah. for it, it looks really cool. They got all white on and they got the blood spatters on them. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And so while Frank was doing that, Gerard, Mikey, Ray, and Bob didn't do much musically, uh, either because they didn't want to or, in Gerard's case, because he couldn't. He was so worn out from the Black Parade experience that he was emotionally and creatively spent. He did win the Will Eisner Comic Industry Award in July 2008 which is kind of the Oscar for the comic industry. It was a prestigious award, and he was excited to win it. He was felt so excited winning it that he actually thought about leaving the music world and focusing solely on comics, taking him back to his original dream while in high school. And he won that for the Umbrella Academy. Yep. And he pursues this for a second, thinking that he's just going to be a comic book artist, but... Cannot keep this man from the music. Not at all. It even got to the point where he talked to Sean Simon, who was a member of Pensy Prep back in the day, who he who actually remained close with the band, about an idea for a comic Sean had and considered working on his comic with him. And while he loved the comic book world and to this day is considered an incred- incredible comic book writer, it was actually the comic book world that would keep him in the music world. And doing comics for Gerard really appealed to him because... He, he didn't have to be this giant personality on stage anymore. He could just be himself. It kind of took him out of the limelight when he did comic books instead of music. Yeah, still create art, but hide, hide behind the page. Yeah. But uh, And this comic book idea between him and Sean inadvertently refuels MCR. Absolutely. Yeah, I can... Which we'll get into, but... I can very much this, relate yeah. with Gerard on this. Uh, I... As we've said before, I was a drummer for a while. I played a lot of live shows, and while I really like doing that, there's a lot of pressure to play live shows, uh, as Ethan and Austin can attest. Uh, and so that's why I really like doing the podcast because it's all pre-recorded. We can edit it to exactly what we want. We can pre-produce everything, and it's it's way better than doing anything live, in my opinion. And I get to I'm, sit man, in my I'm pajamas while I do it. <laughs> I'm in a weird funk with that because I still miss playing live a lot, but I've had so much fun doing this. I it's hard to not sink more focus yeah. into this than so doing some kind of you can just edit it <laughs> yeah and it's and that's not yeah. to say that you can't love both yeah I mean, you can you can absolutely oh, love can playing love live and you can absolutely love uh, not doing things live and that's why we might maybe someday do a live episode maybe not we'll see how it goes probably not for a long time because we're not very good at you this know yet. this kind of reminds uh, so, me yep, of yep, yep. what <laughs> peter Steele. 
because he wanted to essentially yeah. just write music yeah. and not perform. But, you know. Wanted to be a recording yeah. artist. Wanted to be able to not have his face in yep. the public. Yeah. Yep. So in late 2008, the band was approached by Warner Brothers to do a cover of Bob Dylan's Desolation Row for the graphic novel turned Zack Snyder directed movie Watchmen. As important as this was to everyone in the band, it was most important to Gerard because it was the Watchmen. And he said that the Watchmen ranked for him higher than almost any band because of how inspirational it was to him as a comic book. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those weird comic series where it's almost not in the the scope of the general public of comic readers but it is so important to comics i think it's and it, been it sucks because the movie doesn't quite capture that but it is still very yeah, fun. i love the movie have you guys watched the hbo series no i uh, started it didn't get all the way through but i'm probably gonna watch it myself at some point all right yeah i haven't watched it I've, I've heard that it's very very good i really like the movie and yes the comic book is kind of the the backbone of the comic book where it's kind of considered the most important graphic novel Guys. ever made. So yeah. the movie was going to be I'm not locked in here with you. <laughs> You're locked in here. I haven't seen any of them. Whoops. <sighs> that is the best scene in the whole movie. So Got scary. It. I mean Bones in a good me way. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan, you should watch <laughs> Watchmen. It's very good. I've and always meant a, to. I've like seen so many like clips and stuff. I've just never actually done it. It's, it's incredibly well I done. Can't, I'm blanking on his name, but that guy that plays Rorschach is so fucking good at yeah. it. Yeah, I can't think of his name, but yeah, he's very yeah. good. So, the movie was going to be produced by Warner Brothers, and it would be out the following summer, and the band would be playing their song over the closing credits. So, in October, they met up in New York at Electric Lady Studios, actually originally built by Jimi Hendrix. And it was the first time the band had seen each other in quite a while, only actually seeing each other once since the tour ended, which was at Ray's wedding earlier in the year. Bob was in Chicago, having had surgery for his carpal tunnel. Frank, Mikey, and Ray were in New Jersey, and Gerard had moved to Los Angeles with his wife. They're just out living their real lives, you know, just being real people. It's kind of nice, I'm sure. And how fucking dare them, honestly? Because there's so many people out there that want to hear the music they make, and they want to hear it in the way they want to hear it. They don't want to hear something they don't want to hear. They want to hear exactly what they want. Give it to me now. dare them? Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Oh, <laughs> Austin, Austin took a big old drink and then tried to get that line out. Oh, whiskey uh, neck. Give me what I wanted fast enough. <laughs> but here they all oh. were together again to make this song. They had to shorten it to a normal length as the Bob Dylan version was over 11 minutes long because, of course it was, it's Bob fucking yeah. Dylan. And in yeah. the process, they remembered just how much they loved playing and writing together. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. They were talking about how horrifying this is. They were like, you you don't cover, uh, what, what, God, what did they say? I think they said you don't cover I, the Stones, yeah, you, you don't, don't cover Led Zeppelin, and you don't cover Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. They said you don't cover the stones, you don't cover Led Zeppelin, and it is hard to cover Bob Dylan. Yeah. And and they they did it and they had to change a lot. And supposedly Bob Dylan likes it. Who knows if that's they, true? I think yes, they I think kind of assumed he liked blessing. it because he didn't say anything. <laughs> well, Frank Frank said that someone told them he liked it from the no, label no. and he was like, I hope they're not lying, but yeah. who knows? I mean, just live in that ignorant bliss. You know what's so funny about that quote? Like most of Bob Dylan's songs that have charted really well are just covers. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yes. I and Bob has a lot of songs that are better yes. as covers. I'm as, talking knocking on yep, heaven's knocking door. On, <laughs> knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. 
Hi. 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 I'm sorry, Cody. Let this one. Let this finish. Guns N' Roses, episode one through three. Go take it out. Check it out. Uh, yes, the bo- no better place to plug your show than this. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so, so the Bob Dylan version, it's it's very Bob Dylan esque. It's just an acoustic guitar and another guitar over top of it, and then he's he's singing for eleven minutes, uh, and then Michael McRomey shortened it down <laughs> for, to three minutes and uh, sped it up a lot and made it pretty punk. And it's awesome. I really like the cover. They did an incredible job with it. They nailed it. Yep. So after this session was over, the band went their separate ways once again, but Ray and Bob met up with Gerard in L.A. to talk about where they were going as a band. And in the process, they decided to jam a bit. This makes me so sad, too, that Bob was one of the people taking initiative in this, mm-hmm. from what we'll find out yeah. here soon. But I'm still, I mean, I don't know. I'm still a little sad that Bob... Poor Bob. Gets the Didn't boot. make it. He gets the <laughs> boot. He does get fired. Spoiler alert. Spoiler fired. alert. Yeah, but it, it, I, I, yes, he was one of the people making sure that the band was moving forward and then he gets kicked out. Uh, but that's how it goes. Yep. That's life. So yep. they filmed a music video for Desolation Row in December of 2008. And then when they did that, they decided the wounds from the Black Parade were healed. And they could once again create music, but they knew they didn't want to go through the same process of tearing themselves apart once again. So they decided the album that they were going to make was going to be a fun, simple, straight up rock album. I like this idea so much to make something that's simple, just straight up rock, no no theme, no gimmick, to juxtapose against something like Black Parade that was such an endeavor. But we're going to find out that this band does not do well with average they, yeah they i can't. mean they do what they make is good Not average but, but like no no uh, no concept no character behind it yeah. i don't know yeah they need yeah, a, they, they need yeah, an idea go. to write an album yeah they are world builders that is for sure so that would save them the s- simple writing process would save them from the turmoil of writing their most personal inner thoughts and it would further distance themselves from the emo genre that they were now being associated with. You know, keep it light, keep it fun. And they're making it a celebration of these past two albums that they had just written. Like they were trying to be happy about the two big things that they had just done. Yeah. Yep. yep. So the band met up two months later in February of 2009 to start work on their fourth album. They once again shopped around for producers and landed on Brendan O'Brien, the Irish fat man. I don't know how big he is. <laughs> Brendan is just a fat name, in my opinion. Yeah, and, I, and O'Brien oh. is just an Irish kind of name. We and all our Brendan fans, man. <laughs> You're fat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they they actually almost picked Brendan to work on the Black Parade before Rob Cavallo won out. And not to say anything bad about Brendan as a as a producer at, at all, but after reading this book, the thought of him doing Black Parade and not Rob, what a heartbreak that would have been. I don't, I don't f- think the album would have survived. Uh, yeah, would have been terrible. Ter- uh, he just doesn't give enough guidance. It seems like. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we were going to really talk about it too much about his in on this, but everyone kind of in in hindsight says Brendan was just there recording. He wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, directing anything, which is what Rob did so much of and not a producer. 
producer that made it seem he like wasn't he was like, more of an engineer. Yeah, yeah. He was just recording. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. like a, a, yeah. another band member like Rob was. Like yeah, yeah. Rob kind of yeah. saw what they were trying to do with the Black Parade and and really dove in head first where it felt like Brendan just kind of was there pushing record, yeah, pushing stop. Alert. Rob to the rescue. Rob to the rescue. Da-da, da-da. Spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> <That's>, alert. <laughs> And that's not to say that Brendan was a bad producer by any means. He had worked with bands like the Red. Just a different role. Yeah, he just had worked. He had worked with bands like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Train, and Bruce Springsteen. So I mean, it's not like he, you know, was not, was a nobody. And on yeah. top of all that, he actually studied under Rick Rubin at Geffen Records. And he did Hey-o. the Temple of the Dog album too, which was a super group with Pearl Jam and uh, Soundgarden. With Soundgarden, um, yeah. they did. The, it was a tribute band in memory of a guy that died of a heroin overdose from Mother Love Bone. It was a pretty cool album. We're going to do a uh, one, one-off one on them in the future at some point. That's not a tease Thank or anything. Fork and gourd. But yes, that, that, that story is really, really fun. Yes. So we're going to do a quick quick little one-off on them. Yes, can't band. wait. We got to do Stone Temple Pilots. I don't mind stealing bread from <laughs> the mouths of decadents. I'm going hungry. That is Temple of the Dog. Go check them out if you I'm like. I'm telling you right you now, if you don't heard. like us singing, just, just don't, don't listen because we're going to keep singing. We're going to sing. <laughs> we care about it. So the band was stoked to work with Brendan, and he seemed like the perfect producer for this more straightforward project. They didn't want to dive into the, they didn't want to get into the mud of everything. So they just wanted a guy who was going to record the album and say like, oh, could you speed this song up to uh, five beats per minute or whatever? Like really simple stuff, but not. Yeah, not can you dig a little deeper in your soul to find the lyrics? Or <laughs> we want someone that's gonna press space bar twice, and that's it. Yeah. And that is not what they nope. need. Yeah, not yeah, yeah, exactly. So the band knew that their follow up to out. the Black Parade would be a hard sell, no matter what. So they decided to just dive in head first and create whatever they wanted. There would be no concept for this album, no pageantry, and no turmoil. Just rock and freaking roll. Gerard was focused on not destroying himself to make an album. Come in. Who's that knocking at the door? I think that's the universe. I think it has different plans in mind. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he does. Well executed, my friend. Very you think well done. Thank you. Do you think he tried so hard not to rip himself apart that he actually like a little bit ripped himself apart? Like yeah, 100%. I'm, sure yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to do, do it. it. I'm yeah. not gonna that is the theme of this whole, not this whole episode, but the first big yeah, chunk of like, it is them trying to do something simple and finding out that they made it much harder on themselves yeah, trying to do that. Yeah, to a point did. where he's just like, I, I can't just not have a concept to write. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's like, tr- like he's like trying to play foosball in the rec room at the studio or something. He's like, I'm not focusing on lyrics. I'm not, I'm not thinking about the concept. There is no concept. Ah, oh I need God. a Fanta. Bottom line. Doesn't work. work. So the band recorded at A&M Studios in Hollywood. And right about the time they began recording, Lindsay and Gerard had their first child. Gerard was bandit. Bandit. The, name, the child's name is Fun Bandit. Name. Very good name, actually. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a good name. So Gerard was putting recording on the back burner to spend time with his family. I respect that as a dad. Uh, or in a better term, it would be that he decided he wanted to get the recording done as quickly as possible. So he rushed through his parts, which were, I wrote haphazardly written. I, they're they're finely written. They're not. It's not like he wrote like incomplete sentences or anything like that. It's just he just wasn't making a story out yeah, of it. Yeah, he just wrote and lyrics yeah, to a song. Since whatever. there was no concept, there was nothing for him to really devote himself to. Yeah, and 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 because of that, he was pretty. He was struggling pretty hard to come up with anything for this album because it's. He was finding it was hard to write a story in three minutes when you could write a story in in an hour or mm-hmm. yeah, a whole. Hour. Yeah. So he was struggling that that he couldn't do that. So this is where the smallest crack started to form in the band once again. I wouldn't know personally, but I gotta think that just spewing some some something that you think is bullshit that you know is bullshit. It's got to be a real joy killer for a real artist. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't know, but I bet. I would say that it's almost album killing. Yeah. What do you think about that? I would say that too. (laughs) I would say that it's almost, it's almost so bad that it would make you record an entire album and then not release it and record another. Yes. Yes. Bury the album a month before it was meant to come out. I wouldn't know, but I would guess. We will see if that's true or not. So Gerard was struggling to write and wanted to be done as quickly as possible. And Ray, Frank, Mikey, and Bob were uh, enjoying themselves, which is good. But they could tell that Gerard's heart wasn't in it. They they knew what they didn't want to do. They knew they didn't want to do a concept, but they had no idea what their end product was going to look like because they had no concept. So it it just he didn't know what he was going to write about. He struggled real bad with it. It's yeah. yeah, it's just crazy that he can't again. He can write a song. The songs that he writes for this album are fine. But yeah, he he can't. He just struggles so much harder than he needed to if he would just figure out a concept. It's just yeah. it's crazy to me now seeing this play out as a fly on the wall. But for him, I'm sure that it was like, this is the way to do it, stress-free, whatever, yada, yada. What do you do? And then, but knowing the final product of Danger Days and what it turns into, it's... What a story. Yeah, good story. <laughs> That's why we're telling it. He would, Let's continue he would just it. <laughs> look at the producer at times and just be like, I don't know what to write about. I, yeah. God. Yep. Right, it's about fun dip and crosswalks. Let's just write about street signs, dude. People like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they. Sign, sign everywhere. History has told us that yeah, signs, signs sell. Signs sell. Thank you, Tesla. So they did manage yep. to get the record, which was going to be titled Save Yourself, I'll Hold Them Back, which managed to beat out their close follow up, Conventional Met. This is a tough title. Conventional weapons were no match for him. It's actually not that tough of a title. I messed it up. See, I thought that the working title was conventional weapons. No, the the working title, the the there were two choices, and save yourself, I'll hold them back. Narrowly beat them out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was a. Uh, it came out being a rock album with clear clear influences from bands like the Ramones and Sex Pistols, being more punk than some of their older stuff. It still had some stories in it, but they had created a typical, straightforward rock album. No world building, no extra fluff. They felt that they had matured past that. They didn't need to do it. That is, until they started listening back to it when it was being mixed. And they didn't think that it felt like an album in the MCR sense. What we're going to find out is essentially they wrote themselves into a box, which is what they were always against. Like like Ethan said earlier, they focused at the beginning. They had a whole list of things this album was not going to be 
And so they didn't leave any room for what they wanted it to be. They they said it's not going to be another black parade. There's gonna, not going to be the pageantry. Mm-hmm. We're not going to tear ourselves apart. And it ended up hurting them having all these limitations on it. Well, they said there was a list of 20 rules yeah, for this Yeah, they album. Like immediately had these 20 rules that Gerard had laid down that he didn't want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you think about so their their last albums on, you know, Three Cheers, they had the, the Western – the in hang them high they had in in um, bullets they had the like 50s sunsets over monroeville like they had these weird goofy songs that were so against the grain of what anything they could do and of course in mama and then this album they were like we're not going to do anything like that we want to write a rock album and and that's the i mean that's the the blood of mcrs doing these goofy cool songs. so many boundaries on a band that is the whole point is not having boundaries. Like, yeah, I and want. It, it I've been him. this unorthodox band for so long, and now I just want to be plain simple orthodox. It just makes yes. no sense. Yeah, they got the sideburns, they got the hat, and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was just a collection of songs, nothing more than that, and they were not very happy with it. They played a couple of secret shows on July thirty first and August first, and in those, the, in those, they played the a couple of the songs from the album and their encore, which were actually met with pretty positive results. And while that was encouraging, the band couldn't figure the album out. They just didn't have the excitement that they had for the other albums. Ray had to go home for family reasons during the mixing process, and Gerard was doing the mixing process without Ray there, and at one point he had called Ray, and he's just... He's like, I can't pick eight songs. Like, I'll, I'll pick six sometimes, and it'll work, and then I'll just dumb it down to two. I just... Like, I can't make any of these songs work together in a flow that sounds good. Yeah. Yep. He couldn't, he questioned everything they had written during this process. Yeah. Day to day, the songs that he thought were decent songs were changing. Yeah. Some days it would be, yeah, there was eight decent songs. Some days there was two. And I think God. that they wrote way more songs than we heard. Like, I think uh, that they wrote something like 30 songs throughout this, but none of them, and they may have been just little parts or segments and stuff, but yeah, they could not pick out songs that would, that, cl- that created an album. And so yeah. the album just kind of sat for a little bit while they continued to work on it. And so they worked on it through the rest of the year. And to start the new year, the band actually started promoting the album that they were doing. That started with Gerard appearing on the cover of NME Magazine, which is a British music magazine, uh, very similar to the Rolling Stone here in the States, where he talked about the album and he was on the cover by himself in a black duster, a white undershirt, a skinny black tie. He was very stylish. He had a good looking haircut. He was pretty beefed up like he had been working out. And so he looked Really good. He looked le- less like the singer of a punk band and more like a model. It's a very good picture. I'm sure Ethan will put it on social media because it's awesome. And the photo's great, and Gerard hated it. He, lo- he- This is something, yeah. yeah, this is like a crack in his psyche yeah. Yeah, when he starts like, becoming a GQ model and stuff. Really yeah. makes him realize that he hates it. Like he, he realized how yep. mainstreamed it looked. And at the, I mean, everything before this, they had never been a mainstream looking band. So he yep. co- just couldn't stand looking at it. And again, they had done everything they could to not look like a mainstream band. And so now that he was wearing this and looked very good, he didn't want any of it. He thought he was acting. And so he realized that he and the band were now just going through the motions. There was no zest anymore. Uh, It was becoming a job. They were struggling to figure out what to write. And so Gerard decided that he had to change things up. And so they actually delayed the release of their next album. 
They then went to Rob Cavallo, who was now the head of the creative department at Warner, to see if he could fix it. And if you remember, we kind of talked about him. Rob Cavallo was the producer on the Black Parade. And he said... I got to say something quick. Yeah, go for it. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but every time I see an LL, I just want to say it could be Cavallo. I I honestly think it's Cavallo because Cavallo, which is horse in Spanish, is spelled with a B instead of a V. But I was just going to let it ride. Cavallo. I See, like I, that. I haven't I think done it's any, Cavallo. like, I have not cared enough to look to make sure. I just want to say that could be a possibility. I'll, I'll, you know, I've done a couple pages with Cavallo. I'm going to do the rest of them with Cavallo. How about that? Did an episode <laughs> with Cavallo. Whole episode. Played a big part in an episode, and I did it with all Cavallo. Hey, Cavallo. Good call. Good call, man. You know I'm not good at yeah, names. I just want to say. I was just um, going to so, let it ride. <laughs> uh, like we did the opioid thing. <laughs> Man, I'm supposed to be driving this ship, and look at me. Uh, we're just, we're just watching. We're just watching we've, the we've captain. We found that fuck Tony's up. a great captain, but he's just needs a he needs a co-pilot. Yes, so I got my first mate. I don't know what I am. Here. I don't know. What, I, yeah, I'm the shit. I'm the, I, yeah, I, I don't just know if I'm a mate deck, or a pilot or. A, Uh, Yes. So he listened to the album and he said that he could not fix it and that he didn't know what was going on with it. It it always hurts when you when a producer makes an album and then it gets sent to another producer because it's pretty hard for them to kind of shuffle through everything and figure out what the band was going for when they originally recorded. And so the band knew that they were in trouble when when Rob said that he couldn't fix it. And so what they did next was nothing short of drastic. They decided they were going to sink the album and bury it as much as they could. It was a bold choice, but they had Warner's support for it, and they knew that it was best. Rob helped. Rob agreed to help them create some new stuff, at first to try and supplement the album, and then to try and write something completely new. This reminds me of that Deftones album that they completely scrapped. And, uh, I mean, they had help pretty much a whole album written at one point but then their bassist Chi Chang got in a car accident was completely paralyzed and ended up dying so then they wrote another album instead yeah, yeah. sad it's sad very sad it's a little sad yeah once again Ethan's doing things different than the goddamn outline <laughs> yes Austin it is Chi Chang it's so sad because he's very cause sad. He, like, very sad. They posted a website and everything for him, like to watch his recovery, and then he just didn't recover. Like he was comatose. He just stayed in yep. a coma from 2008 to 2013. They scrapped a whole album. In the coma? Yeah. They scrapped a whole album that he had helped record because he wasn't going to be able yep. to represent it. It was rough. Yeah. And they wrote Diamond Eyes, which is a great album. Yeah, true. <laughs> Huh, well, I'd be very bummed if we didn't yeah, have diamonds. So is, good, but yeah, not to say I'm glad. I remember like going gone. to the website and seeing these updates. You'd see his face, you'd be like, "He's he's awake, he's like better," and then he wasn't. It was rough. This actually is not really anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just saying they scrapped the pretty, whole pretty. album. That's all I was saying. <laughs> the only thing they did, yes, was both get rid of the album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it called Arrows, maybe? I don't remember. Something like that. We'll do them yeah. someday. We'll do that. God, I just hope we can get Chino on the show. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I can hope. Don't, I can hope. Just don't I can try hope. it. Don't I just think want about Chino, it. man. He seems like such a cool guy. Won't ever fucking happen. <laughs> no. No. Dude's a fucking god. He's a god. 
Okay. Okay. Hey, let's get back to the All right, episode. Anyway, what do you guys anyway, so what yeah, we're talking about. Talk about my chemical romance. Yeah. So Gerard took a little break in January 2010 uh, with his family where they went to Joshua Tree, California. And while he was out there, he had a little conversation with his wife, Lindsay, that would change his outlook. She told him that he wasn't just a vocalist in a band. He was an artist, a storyteller. Artiste. An artiste. He was all about that. He built worlds and he didn't write three minute songs about heartbreak or whatever he was writing about. Uh, Of course, I'm embellishing here. That's not really what she said, but she did say that he was a storyteller and that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. But she told him that he needed to create what he was feeling and that he had to do it for these five people in the band and no one else. And then she told him, quote, the aftermath is secondary. You may recognize this line heard it once if you like this. If you I like think someone this says it, about talk about. I don't know. Hmm. Who knows? Doctor hmm. Death. So after this, <laughs> yeah. fl- basically, Gerard, this really hit him, and he uses <gasps> this as part of <gasps> these words. Speak to me. This, this is exactly what he needed to hear. So after this, the yep. floodgates opened, and Gerard remembered back to his conversation with Sean Simon. I didn't mention this earlier, but he was in Princey Prep. Yep. Yep. Frank's yep. old man. Yep. I think I mentioned it, but that's fine. You might have. Uh, I do think. I do think Tony I think, said something uh, yeah. about it. Who knows? So, I don't really. Like, you are correct. Lines. You did not mention it. So <laughs> yeah, who could even know? We can't, we can't scroll we can't, back up. Or please don't scroll back. I don't need that. <laughs> uh, so he thought about Sean's comic idea, which he was calling the Killjoys. Gerard expanded on this to the true lives of the fabulous Killjoys. He teamed up with the original creator, Sean, as well as illustrator Becky Cloonan to create the idea. He really dove headfirst into this world, even making a model car of the idea he had in his mind, which is a Trans Am with a spider on it with a a lightning bolt in the body of the spider. Very cool. And if you, again, if you know the album... You recognize what I'm what I'm referring to, so he saw. Yep. He said he bought a model car and put all the damage on it, drew the the spider with the lightning bolt on it, and just put it on his desk and stared yep. at it. That's mm. that's that's what I need yep. to make. So he saw a post apocalyptic yep. world set in California in 2019, and remember that date because it will be important. Uh, run by a corporation called Better Living Industries in a city called Battery City, I think is what it's called. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. that sold emotion. Yeah, Battery yeah. City that sold emotions to people and uh, to try and deal with the post-apocalyptic you know, world that they were living in, so they sold happiness and whatever, and a small group of people called the Killjoys who were rebelling against this corporation. You know what this kind of reminds me of? What? Equilibrium a little bit with Christian Bale. Mm. Is that kind of similar? It's, it's, it's uh, dystopian, little, except for instead of buying emotions, they just hide all the art and you can't feel emotion anymore. It's kind of cool. It's a very cool movie. Mm. Yeah. I think you're... Yeah, it's, a very, it's freaking sweet, dude. Because because like there's a small group of people that like hide all this art from the the enforcing officers who are always trying to get rid of art so that people don't like act out because art causes emotion and emotion makes you act out. And Christian Bale ends up coming across some art because he's an enforcing officer, and then he ends up liking art. I think you're thinking of the movie In huh. Time with uh, Justin Timberlake. No. Where you can buy no. time no. for your life. I'm thinking of Equilibrium with Christian Bale. It's from like 2005, I think. It's pretty old, but it's good. I think you're thinking of uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner is very good. Form. Yeah, that's, it's similar, but that's more than just clones. Uh, and then he ends up being a clone, but yeah. 
I'm just I think you're thinking of what's eating Gilbert. Yeah, that's Rick. the one with uh, the the big mom, right? She's a Johnny, very large Johnny Depp and, 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 and Leo. Leo's kind of kind of the same. Oh no, man, I don't think that's the same. I think that's very different. <laughs> man, we're really finding the rabbit holes today. <laughs> So Gerard was fired up about this concept and got the band together in Rob's home studio to try out a new song that he was working on. They worked together and really started flowing on this new song, which would eventually become Na Na Na. The way the book described it, uh, Gerard kind of built the bones of the song by himself. He was having one of his, you know, Gerard moments where he was feeling inspired and he picked up the guitar and retweaked a riff that they already had. And basically wrote the chorus of this and then presented it to the band. And it was kind of the spark in the tinderbox. Oh, yeah. I just, I wonder if like he went to the band. He's like, all right, guys, I got, I got, I got a chorus here. Let's see if we can build off it. Here's how it goes. Everyone in the band's like, Gerard, you're a genius. Just emailed it to him. Hey, here's what I'm thinking for the chorus. They're very good. You should read these lyrics. We know if you guys think of anything else. I don't think you got... All jokes aside, somehow turned into a... I don't think you understand the depth of the letter N and A in sequence. Really... It really does some pretty incredible things, things with it. Yes, he does. So the whole band was enjoying this new sound and the new direction they were taking, but there was a blemish on the new project taking place, and that blemish was Bob Breyer. Uh, so the band sat down with Bob in February to ask him to leave the band. They announced it a month later publicly, but the break was less than clean. Neither Bob nor the band had been clear about what the breakup was over, but it it has something to do with Bob's attitude toward the new project and his attitude towards the band. And so if I may offer somewhat of an educated guess here, I think that Bob was happy with the album that they buried and the fact that they buried it made him pretty upset and bitter. And Frank had some similar feelings about this as well. But if that is the case, then Frank handled it better because he's he was still able around. to rationalize and realize he was yeah. pretty upset because he thought a lot of the songs were yeah, really good. Yeah. And uh, it will, I mean, it will come up later, uh, the, his feelings about it. But uh, yeah. yes, I think that Bob was pretty upset about this. And so then Gerard, when he came back with this very different song to anything they were writing and the fact that they said, like, we're going to do a rock album. And then he comes back with the song that becomes na na na. Like, I feel like Bob was just like, this is not what I wanted. And so it only what? added to the resentment. And so uh, Frank said, even said after the fact that there was no way the band could record the album the way that they did if Bob remained in the band. He said it as like a fact, like if Bob stuck around, this would not have yeah. happened. I've, I've, it's kind of weird that song, jeez, uh, that Bob got five songs with writing credits on Danger Days. It's kind of odd to me. Well, I can explain yes, that. Please do. Uh, please. Those are songs that remained from the, from the other session. There was those five songs that they thought were close to good enough they tweaked mm-hmm. them a little bit uh, but mostly they stayed thank you uh bulletproof heart was one of those and that is definitely my favorite nice. on the album yeah uh and actually that that in itself also upset some of the members of the band the fact that some of the yes. songs made their way from this sunk album into danger days and so, with Bob out, they fully got to work on this album. They had to find a replacement drummer to record with, and Rob said he knew just the guy. He brought in John Melisi. No, that's way wrong. Miss Sally? Miss Sally. Yeah, I even said it when I was writing it multiple times. 
apparently. I just can't get it. I like that you changed yeah, the L Yeah, I like how you swapped the C and the L. I like that. Melisi. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, man. I wish, John Maselli, a 15-year-old drummer who in the past had worked with bands like Meatloaf, Adam Lambert, and would later work with Brian May... Whatever, man. <laughs> I, that was a joke. I wasn't doing that. I'm not going to do that. No, all those things yeah. are true, and Tony's about to pick up Tony, from there. What were you going to so, say after um, that? John Maselli is his name. So he was a tried and true studio musician, and he fit with the band perfectly. He told the world, they told the world that they were continuing to work on their sunk album, and they actually worked on this album in secret, but they knew that they were essentially starting from scratch. They did keep a couple of the songs, as we said, and they reworked them into this new sound. Some members felt that they had a good base, uh, the songs that they worked on, and others felt that they should completely start from scratch and and not do anything with this sunk album, the uh, hold them back. And so they did whatever. Uh, but the issue, okay, here we go. Uh, but this this rift that was kind of forming between the band wouldn't have to be dealt with for three more years. Right now, they were all loving what they were doing. They were playing with synthesizers, beat machines, and anything else they could think of. You know what else I think they needed? A Mellotron. Like in the song Stairway to Heaven, or what Fleetwood Mac used on uh, Rumors. Ooh. Yeah. Could be. Could have been cool. I don't know. What it, now, what That's is a, the Mellotron? Like, I don't think we talked, we talked about, about that. a little bit during Rumors. I can't remember which track they used it on. But, um... In hmm. in Stairway to Heaven, you know, you know that that's you know that flute noise in the song at the beginning of it. At the beginning, yeah, yeah. That, that's done yeah. with a synthesizer called a Mellotron. It's very cool. Oh, how yeah. about that? Okay. How quickly we forget. <laughs> so the Black Parade was an album that they had to make, and now this album was the album that they wanted to make. They had loads of fun with it. They continued to re- to record at Caveo's home studio, which was a big, cushy, comfortable studio. It must be nice to have a studio in your backyard because that's where his was out. I believe it probably Yeah, was. God, it really is. But I'll tell you, it's a major pain in the ass when the leaves start to blow in off the pool every time you <laughs> oh, open the fucking no. door. <laughs> or when you're too drunk and you fall in the pool on the way out of the studio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every time that happens, boy, so it's so an inconvenience. I hate when that happens at my house. It's frustrating that the pool boy only comes on Tuesdays and Saturdays. I hate. Yeah. You pay him for three and times a week. He only comes twice. twice. Why do you always come when I'm gone? I just don't get it. <laughs> Is that banging your wife? <laughs> <type of thing? laughs> that was the joke. <laughs> <laughs> goes for the infidelity joke. And I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I respect it. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yes, gone were the days of Passion of the Christ on the TV and Haunted Mansions in exchange for laughter, fun, and a ton of experimentation. They created characters for the album and characters for themselves. Gerard was party poison. Party poison. <laughs> I was going to say potty, potty poison. Don't. Potty poison. I don't want to do that. Gerard was party poison. Ray was jet star. Frank was fun ghoul. And my favorite, Mikey, was the Cobra Kid. Cobra Kid. Cobra yeah. Kid Commander. That's the coolest one. Yeah. They also created a character called Dr. Death Defying. I think it should be Dr. Death Defying, but it doesn't matter what I think. Uh, who is a radio DJ that you would hear on a few tracks on the album. And uh, to play Dr. Death Defy, Ing, they brought in mindless self-indulgence guitarist Steve Rye to play the part. Right? And then every other fucking member of mindless self-indulgence yeah, like to play a different they part. Are, yeah. they just, there was two bands recording this album. 
<laughs> and if you remember, the bassist of Mindless and Self-Indulgence was Lindsay, also known as Gerard's wife. Yes, So that's is. how yep. the two bands were attached. And yeah, they brought in I this. I like my coffee black. Just like and they brought in <laughs> Jimmy Urine for another part. Uh, so there was nothing off the table for this, and they ended up creating a variety of tracks. They recorded a, an album. They recorded the album through July of 2010, and once they were done, they knew it was time to update their look. They wanted to move away from the pain of the Black Parade, and they did that in every way possible while recording. The Black Parade was all about death and dying, and this album will be all about living and fighting back. And they were trying to fight back against pop culture, because in pop culture at the time, you couldn't wear shirts that had drugs on them, like advertising drugs, but it would be fine if you had a gun on your shirt. Like they, they felt like yeah. culture was trying to clean up certain things, but allowing other things to be socially acceptable. And they wanted to essentially fight against it. Kill the jumpsuits and the laser pistols. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be chaos. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's just going to be a <laughs> wall of sound. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. I love chaos. It That's is. what I'm all about. And, and to further show that they had moved past the Black Parade, they again called up costume designer Colleen Atwood, who designed the outfits for the Black Parade. But as black and white as those were, these outfits would be as vibrant and as loud as possible. And to put a cherry on top, both literally and figuratively, Gerard dyed his hair bright red. The band finally told the world that their album they worked on was dead and they would never be heard and they had a new album coming out. Gerard had a plan for marketing this album, including touring and videos, and he brought the, he brought this idea to Warner Brothers, who basically just had to follow his instructions. He walked into the marketing team with a 20-minute speech with a flip chart, and he essentially just laid out the... The storyline, art, and music videos all planned out. He had everything in his head written out. He was ready to go. Huge pitch, but in reality, didn't even need it because this label owed, owed them a lot, and really especially Gerard. And so he, they pretty much had free reign at this point, even to the point of being like, hey, you know all that money we spent on recording an entire album and writing it? We think we're going to not do that album anymore and write a new one. <laughs> What do you think? And they were like, okay, okay fine. fine. So Please if, leave. So if you uh, flip to page 11 in your pamphlets that I handed out, you will see that uh, Course will take the gun and will put it under my chin and uh, and Cobra Kid will try to save me and the Missile Kid um, will get away. And what the course, fuck are you talking this about? Is, uh, <laughs> What did you just I think? Yeah, we'll just do it. We'll do it. Did you read the comment? Did you read the comment? Ah, yes. Now, I, that's that. That yeah. He just pitched it, and they were like, "Great, sounds good." And they they loved yeah, the idea okay. that he had an idea, and they just basically had like they didn't have to think of anything. They just yeah. had to execute like, it. They specifically it really loved that he. They didn't really need to work on anything for marketing because he had their job done for them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Really pretty, they had pretty a lot convenient. of faith in this band at yeah. this point. It was, I mean, even from the beginning, <laughs> even in Three Cheers, they were kind of like, do what you want. We hope it works out. Then Black Parade, they were like, do what you want. It'll be good. And then it was. And then they were like, do what you 
on now. It'll be it'll be it good. Be You're fine. doing my job. Thank it you. Was. <laughs> on the whole, it was fine. It was. Uh, Which, hey, like I said, was not a believer. I'm a believer yes. now. So thank you. Keep listening. Thank goodness. Uh, they also had to find a new drummer to tour with, as John Maselli was not interested on in going out on the road. He's 50 years old, man. He's got he's got kids. I, I assume. I don't actually yeah. know. Uh, much like he's got grandkids. <laughs> much like Frank's father, he was a studio music musician only, and so they got old tour buddy Mike Pedicone who played with The Bled and Hamlet, a project with Gavin Rossdale, the vocalist of Bush. All right, Tony, you misread that. I'm so sorry. I had to let it happen. It's he played with Ham he played with Helmet and he played with Gavin Rossdale as a solo artist. I'm so sorry. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool. it was Helmet, Helmet, you know, Paige yeah, Hamilton. Helmet. They did the song um uh unsung. It's a very good song. If you've never heard it, that's maybe not the best way to describe a song. But you, if you hear that song, you're gonna hear me sing it, and then you're like, "Oh wait, he was right. That is what it sounds like." But also, if you've never heard the Blood, they're very good. If you like chaotic hardcore music, they're very good. Oh, they're so good. There we go. You may or may not have seen Mike Pedicone. So Mike was an awesome drummer that brought an incredible new energy to their shows. I loved watching Mike play uh, the, the little bit while he was there. Uh, he was a mm-hmm. touring drummer and not fully a member. And as a result, he doesn't appear in any of the videos as a character that they do for the album, which they do four uh, videos. They do two cinematic videos. That's Na 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 and Sing. Na 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 was directed by Gerard and Robert Schober. Seems good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, who actually goes by the name? I think he goes by the uh, the the like media Stage name. name. Uh, no, he goes by Robo Showbo. Alias. Oh wow, is his name? Yeah, and he's done ton of stuff. He's did stuff with Alice in Chains, The Killers, Green Day, and my favorite band, or one of my favorite bands, Ghost. Oh he did yeah, the, band. the uh the nickel, the spooky Nickelback, I should say. I don't. It's very upsetting. Uh, so the video had the car Gerard imagined, desert scenes. Sorry. I go through. I go through this whole outline, correcting mistakes left and right, and then and two more one people come through. <laughs> and I oh, just I get so many you know through the mud. Hey, Tony, you'd never know if I was the one that made that change. What? If I changed the letter to an A and seventy. I thought we were past this. How'd you do no, that? no, no, no. I, I never psychotic. <laughs> Great. That's good. That's who you want to be a business partner with. So the video had the car Gerard imagined, desert scenes, laser guns, and vibrant outfits. They built even more on the world that Gerard had thought up, adding in a character called Missile Kid, who is a little girl that the Killjoys are watching over and gets kidnapped. And then they also created uh, the better the leader of Better Living Industries course who is actually played by Grant Morrison a powerhouse in the world of comic book writing and a close friend of Gerard's who uh, Gerard actually met during either the writing of um, Three Cheers or The Black Parade. I can't remember which one it was but he... I believe it was during Black Parade because uh, as we talked about in the last episode this is the guy that basically tells Gerard you are a fucking rock star you need to live like a rock star yeah. you need to embrace it. Yeah it's it. during the tour of it I believe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he also creates another character called Cherry Cola who was acting as a Draculoid basically the expendable henchman in the world before it's revealed he is a double agent working for the Killjoys. 
God, the first time I saw these videos and saw Grant Morrison in it, my head just fucking popped a leaf <laughs> because back then I did not know they were like friends. Like they're pretty close, but this guy is huge in comics. Like he did the whole uh, R.I.P. Batman mm-hmm. series where Bruce Wayne like dies. Quote marks. He actually goes back in the past, and there's a huge span where uh, Dick, who is originally Robin and Nightwing, becomes Batman for a mm. while. But yeah. This guy is a huge name in, in comics. And, well, man, Austin's brain <laughs> fried a little bit the first time. Austin, you were hot on comics for like I remember a that. couple of years. You, you made me, you made me go to the comic book store with money you. On com- mm-hmm. I still am, but I have gotten to the point where I realize that just buying omnibuses to read is much better for my my finances than having a pull list of 20 comics a week. It was like every week you were like, hey, gotta go to the comic book store and you would show up with like 10 comics. A stack. Yeah. A literal stack. And then by the time we moved out of our dorm, you had a uh, like a like a melon crate just full of comic books. I thought you said you traded I have three long boxes and a short box. I thought you said you traded them back in for, for more comics. Nope, never I said that. I thought you did. <laughs> no. Do you still have them? Oh, nice. yes. Oh, yeah. Of course you do. Of why why wouldn't you? Um, so why as we not? said earlier, we're going to get back to the band again. Uh, <laughs> we're getting so off track. Uh, Cherry Cola. It's so okay. Cherry Cola. I guess it's we're okay. talking about comics, so it's okay. It's, okay. it's fine. It's okay. Cherry Cola okay. was played by Jimmy Urine, the lead vocalist of Mindless Self-Indulgence. And it's his last name. You guys probably know better than I do. Is his last name actually pronounced Urine? I would I would Urine. assume that it's a stage name. I would also assume <laughs> yes, that, but that doesn't change the pronunciation <laughs> of it. So he showed up in the second music video, Sing. So Sing was directed by Gerard and Paul Brown, who directed videos for artists like Miley Cyrus, Stone Sour, and Alicia Keys, as well as doing a lot of other stuff not music video related. And when I say that, I mean he did like like a lot of Pepsi commercial and Bud Light commercials and little little stuff like that. So in this video, they storm Better Living Industries to save the missile kid who was captured at the end of the last video. They get the kid, but are all killed in the process. And this was also a hoot for the band of film. They love filming both of these videos, and they loved getting to just have fun. It was not nothing was serious, and it was all just them goofing around basically in the desert, driving cool cars and. Playing, you know, laser tag, essentially. So they made sure yep. to drive the point home that they weren't the Black Parade anymore by putting a skeleton in the desert in a marching outfit, which you can see in the video. And yep. with that... Yep, deep cut. What? I said deep cut. It's not. It's not really. It's pretty, it, but it's still it's cool to see. out yeah. there. Uh, yeah. And with that, Danger Days, The True Lives of the Killjoys, was released on November 22nd, 2010. It was met with mostly good reviews, which Gerard made a point not to read. Yes, he was done uh, looking point. at all Good the idea. media. And it reached number eight in the United States and certifying gold across the world. So wherever gold, whatever, you know, whatever you had to reach to hit gold in the United States, it's 500,000 in Britain. I think it's 60,000. Don't quote me on that. Might be more than that. Might be less. Um, <laughs> Very different amounts. That's fine. <laughs> Britain's a small country, you know. Doesn't oh, matter. wow. You that's do a yeah, podcast on music, but you don't know what gold is in every country across the world. Wow. <laughs> it's not that they have worse tastes. It's just that they're a smaller that's country. Right. 
Uh, and the, the killers, uh, the, uh, never mind, it doesn't matter. Uh, although it was met with, <laughs> with positive critical and audience reception, it didn't do as well as Warner had hoped, thinking it was going to be a revolutionary album that would change the course of rock and roll. It was thought to largely be because of the four-year lapse in release. That does make you we, think that they're coming up with something pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And Unfortunately, yeah. And um, people not, are impatient. If people are impatient and people don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. So if you make them wait four years for something totally different than they're expecting, yeah. they're not going to receive A it A lot well. of people were kind of expecting and kind of hoping for the Black Parade V2. And that did not come I literally yeah, do not remember came. this album coming out like at all. I remember it coming out. I listened to it. I thought it was yeah. fun. Um, yeah, I remember not liking it. I was in college when it came out, and I remember busy. walking across campus listening to it. And too thinking, busy listening yeah, to Miss May I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so when the album did not change the world, Craig and everyone at Warner got worried. But the band was already busy touring, having started their World Contamination Tour on October 23rd. This world tour would again last a year and a half, just like the Black Parade Tour, and they played 102 shows in four continents, skipping out on South America for this tour, which they did play during the Black Parade Tour. And that is about 40 less shows than they played before in the same amount of time. So they made sure that the legs of this tour were much shorter and they took longer breaks between legs, with the longest leg lasting just about a month and ensuring there were at least two weeks off to cool down between each leg. I'm sure this was good for the energy in comparison to the last string of shows they had with the Black Parade. Like, because last time they didn't Absolutely. get any time to recoup. Yeah, and when yeah, they... not completely fucking yeah. ragged. And when they weren't, like, two years. doing... When they weren't actually playing shows, they were doing press and they were filming more music videos because I think, I think the Black Parade has five music videos six music videos maybe i can't remember exactly how many it has but like it has a good amount you, of you cancer welcome to the black parade famous last words then blood blood yeah and teenagers yeah. it's got a lot of music videos so yeah they were yeah they worked really hard on that and they wanted to make sure that they did not have that happen again so they did the two cinematic videos before they even went out on tour and then they did two live videos for two more songs. Um, I cannot remember off the top of my head what they are, but that those are the four music videos that they do all together. And everyone was married and Frank and Gerard had kids. And so touring was secondary to them. They loved being out on the road, but they also knew that they needed to spend time with their families and the ones they loved, which helped keep them sane while they were out on the road. And while this was good for the band, it didn't help with album sales. The Black Parade saw the same slow burn to a hit record, but a huge push with that was the fact that they were out touring, doing press, and killing themselves for the record. And since they didn't do that this time, it hurt sales as a result. And I think, again, uh, just an educated guess here was that with the Black Parade, a lot of people were discovering My Chemical Romance. So, like, a lot of people didn't listen to Three Cheers that much, but My Chemical Romance mm -hmm. was, or Black Parade was a huge album. And so I think that it was easy to digest and it was really catchy. And so a ton of fans grew during that time. And so uh, by the time that this album came out four years later, the quote honeymoon phase for the band was over. And so a lot of people, not a lot of new fans came on and even people who were fans probably like dropped off because it wasn't the Black Parade V2. But again, that's just a guess. I think you think you're right. I think this album wasn't quite as like epic as the Black Parade was. So it wasn't as yeah. liable to draw in new fans. 
Right. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. I have some thoughts. thoughts. I think you're I think you're exactly right with um the Black Parade brought in so many new fans and it's really easy to hear an album you like from a band and then ignore the past two albums and the fact that this band is all about changing and pushing boundaries and making making new things. And so if you just come into Black Parade, you're thinking, "Oh, I really like this." You don't pay attention to the whole overall theme of the band, you think I'm ready for more of yes. this, and then you don't get more of that. This turns people yep, off. Absolutely, I completely agree with that, and I think that I fell into that trap when I first um, started listening to the band. And uh, I obviously like the hits from Three Cheers, but yeah. I was not—I did not enjoy the album as a whole when I first started listening hey, to Tony, it. I absolutely loved the Black Parade when it came out. I fell into that trap, whereas I wanted either another three cheers or another black parade oh, yeah. and it was neither it was of those and i literally lost neither sight. <laughs> lost sight yeah yep. yeah <laughs> what were you gonna say ethan uh i think you just weren't sad enough in middle school i think that's the problem i mean that's why you weren't i had, super a, into I had sad times I, enough no. don't sell don't sell me short enough. yeah sad enough one time one i remember time seeing I, austin just at football practice when I was in seventh grade, and he just looked terribly sad at football practice. So I know, oh, no. I know, Austin was Austin way more sad. That's the saddest I was, I've ever I remember, been. Like, I'm pretty it, sad it was, in general, but at football practice, that's, that's the worst. It was a morning been. practice. That's my first memory of you. A morning middle school oh, football that practice. Is every morning of thinking, how hard do I have to like <laughs> smash this helmet into my head to die? Yeah. Like I remember being a crouch how quickly. On the can line. I set CTE on? I don't think I've ever seen a sad Austin in my entire life. I hope I never see it again. <laughs> Man, being in sports, you don't want to be in because your parents won't let you quit. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to raise a kid. No. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> Deep cuts. <laughs> Austin doesn't like sports. Austin was pretty chunky as a middle schooler. and Very chunky. He, I don't know a third one. He just really didn't like sports and he went out for football for when some reason. When you're not reason. allowed to not quit a sport, but you still have to have your inhaler on the field. I don't know, hey, man. Ethan had an asthma you attack while he was doing oh, the killer. Oh, I, say, I, bet, I bet Tony remembers me watching me run to the side of the field to get my inhaler. It happened a lot. <laughs> It really did. What you going on? Like, you like, forgot how to just breathe when your lungs are inflamed. You fucking idiot! <laughs> oh god. Uh, fun time. So that's why we like this band a lot. So, uh, yeah, the band, the tour was loads of fun for the band. They went with a much more simple set for this tour. Again, moving away from the huge theatrics of the Black Parade. And that's not to say that there weren't costumes and gimmicks, but this tour wasn't seven buses big. Like Tony said, they wanted to get away from the theatricalism and focus more on the musicianship during the shows. And they just wanted to be themselves more so than they were before when they were doing the Black Parade. Yeah. And so they just had like big, uh, big monitors that went up. And it wasn't like a small show by any means, but it, they had big monitors that just played and video walls were pretty easy to build. Um yeah. Yeah. Just take me at my word on that one. Uh, it wasn't an entire backdrop with with people with dancers on stage and stuff like Black exactly. Parade. Yeah. It's just a it's just yeah. a rock concert. I mean, they in the end they kind of accomplished their goal of just making a, a rock album. It wasn't a. Sh- That's the best part about this whole thing is they try so hard to not 
or to do something doesn't work, and then they end up inadvertently doing, doing the it. thing they wanted the way they wanted yeah. to do it. It's perfect. Uh, yeah. So they also made themselves enjoy themselves going out whenever they could. Gerard also worked on the Killjoys comic book that was the inspiration for this entire thing. They put out a call to the audiences to their, of their shows to dress up as Killjoys, getting as extravagant and outlandish as possible, and the crowds did not disappoint. They wore homemade outfits, coming up with names and backstories for themselves, and diving into the world that Gerard and Sean had created. They only cared about having fun on this tour and even doing some charity work. They're just good guys all around. After the tsunami in Japan in March 2011, Twitter started trending the hashtag Sing It For J- Japan, and Ray took notice, and so he got the band to rework the song Sing and re-release it with all proceeds from the sale going to the Red Cross in Japan. And they actually ended up raising about $5,000 for the charity, which isn't a ton, but it's not bad for just a one-off song. Fukushima is still heavily radiated, and they're still filling water with... uh, They're still filling tubs, like big giant vats full of water with radiated water that's going through the coolant system of the the, uh, nuclear reactor. So that's kind of fun. They're going to run out of space in 2022 at this rate. (laughs) Pretty wild. How about that? How about that? That is something about that is something about this band that I it's crazy because they are just it seems like good dudes at heart in general because uh if you watch uh Life on the Murder scene, that's back when they were still coming up through three cheers mm-hmm. and they have the whole like gambit of they could be those dudes with all the groupies and like so many people wanted to be and they were not about that at all there's a whole scene in uh life on the murder scene where they're playing this uh it's one of those it's those uh two dates in london back to back that they do for on gerard's birthday or whatever and uh one of the bands that was there was going around to girls and giving them backstage passes for showing their boobs and on stage Gerard, Gerard was like I want to say if you have any shitty rock dudes come up to you and give you backstage passes for showing your tits you say fuck them it's true he said that <laughs> yeah like, yep just calling yeah. them out on stage for being pieces of shit yep they had so much I dignity and they and they Everyone that you talk to, that anyone talked to while they were on tour, everyone said, like, this band is the nicest band. Like, everyone is so nice and down to earth and stuff. Like, and, you know, they, everyone just had such a good time with it. Like, they they just wanted to be rock stars and they just wanted to have a good time. And and, and they did that throughout every tour. Obviously, the Black Parade tour kind of wore on them quite a bit and stuff. And so they started to get pretty. Uh, aggravated, I guess, would be the right word near the end of it. But like, yeah. they still were were patient with people, and they still were accommodating yeah. and, and friendly and kind. Like, they were never, as far uh, as we know, they did not lose their integrity, yes. which is really cool and not something you see very often. Mm-hmm. And yes. they also got to play the show of their dreams while on this tour. So on August, we alluded to this. We alluded to this last episode. It's a and big it's deal. So on August 26, 2011, they headlined the Reading Festival where they were attacked on their last tour before winning the crowd over. This is where they were bottled and uh, and, every, and the crowd kind of lashed out at them 
really heckled. Yes. Uh, and so they were back to headline and they were so excited. They actually said after the last time they played that they weren't going to come back to play this tour or this this festival again unless they were headlining. And now here they were. Gerard made a statement. He was like, we will never play re- reading again unless we're headlining. Yeah. And so here they were. And to make it all move. the more special, they made something incredibly magical happen. So... We said that My Chemical Romance uh, has taken influences from Queen with uh, their big, big, booming guitar licks and things like that. And so they somehow managed to get Brian May to play with them. Their lawyer made a call after they said something. And lo and behold, he showed up. He actually had to, like, it was a one-night thing. Like, yep, I can do it on this night only. I have to go record something with Lady Gaga the next day or whatever. So it was like the next day. He practiced with them, too. Yeah, like so it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything was perfect. The stars aligned for it. So he showed up to play on stage, and he played We Will Rock You with the band. And then he helped close them out on the set with Welcome to the Black Parade. It was a dream come true for the band, and the show was filmed. You can find it online, or you can find it on our website, we're on at 5.com. It was an awesomely fun set. Be on yeah, there. Go check it out. And they looked like they were having a great time on stage. This show stuck out so much to Frank. And at the time, he was still using the medication that would make him black out because he was taking medication for his nerves. And he said this show still was ingrained in his brain and he would never forget how amazing it was to him. Yeah. If you want to see the embodiment of joy, like the most pure joy you have ever seen, watch this bit. And there's several times when Ray and Brian do the whole back-to-back guitar thing. You will not see a bigger smile on anyone's face than Ray's at that moment. Like He looks like he's losing his goddamn mind. When they're playing We Will Rock You and, 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 and Brian is just playing his part, like I don't even think. Ray is playing. I think he's just smiling, like he's just watching. Look yeah, at turns like, around oh and watches. Yeah, he's so excited. God. Yeah, this was a dream yeah. come true for him. It was so cool. Uh, but as fun as all this was, this tour was not all sunshines. They were again attacked, albeit by uh, right right wing uh, news anchor Glenn Beck about how the song Sing was used on Glee. <sighs> Sing is such an inspirational song, which I, uh, it's fine, but yeah. uh, and how it was a propaganda song as the lyrics apparently basically said the band was trying to get people to fight back against the power, which uh, I mean, kind of that's yeah. music, yeah. Father Beck. <laughs> right, Come on, chill, just <laughs> goddamn off. chill, Glenn Beck. I mean, isn't Glenn Beck on the Blaze, and his whole persona is just being a dickhead in all the time anyway? So I don't like all of the people on the Blaze are dickheads. That's where Tommy Lawrence started. So I don't know. That's actually a really good point, Ethan. And what I think that means is we should not give any more time to Glenn Beck yep, and just keep, keep moving. So the- so the band took it in stride, basically shutting down Glenn on their site. It's pretty funny. Uh, we'll probably put a little bit on our on, on our website about it because they they shut it straight the fuck down. Uh, yeah. But the big bummer <laughs> for the tour came just shortly after they played Reading with Brian May, and it had to do with their touring drummer, Mike Petticone. Heartbreak City. This really sucks. <laughs> sucks a Yikes. whole bunch. Remember, uh, Mike had been friends with the band for a really long time. I think that they played, or they played Warp Tour way back yeah, in the day for together. that long. Yep. I mean, so it was 
six, seven years ago that they were doing this. Um, and now this happened. So on September. Yeah, it wasn't like they met when he joined. Like they were friends before he started yeah, touring with yeah, them. Pretty close to the band. So on September 3rd, keep that in 2011, mind. the band put out a statement saying that they were cutting ties with their drummer immediately. Apparently, Mike was caught stealing from the band after the one of their after their show two days earlier. The band caught him red handed and uh, appropriately freaked out. I couldn't find what he stole. I tried really hard to figure it out. But and I don't yeah, think that uh, Tom Bryant is going to come to our rescue on this one. But it was apparently bad enough that the police were called. Our friend Tom. Our friend Tom. Our good friend Tom. Uh, <laughs> and Mike confessed. He was apparently having troubles with one of the crew members. So in an, in an effort to make the crew member look bad, he stole something. He said he never wanted to hurt the band, just this one crew member. He was fired immediately, and they quickly had to find a new drummer for the rest of the tour. I tried so hard to dig up anything on this. I was on Yahoo questions, Yahoo answers, trying to <laughs> find anything. Because there, there were whole, like, co- like forms on it, like people trying to yeah. figure out what it was. But I couldn't find anything. It just, it, I mean, they everyone kept referencing how he was like, there was this one crew member that had a problem yeah. with me since the beginning. And I just wanted to make them see how irresponsible he was. But it never really straight said what he did. It Yeah, everything... Yep. Everything that has ever come out about this that we could find is just like the statement from the band and the statement from Mike. There's nothing else out there about it. And he just keeps saying he wishes they would hear his side of the story because he claims that he did not want to gain financially. He just wanted to get rid of this crew member that apparently had it out for and him. And it seems like Frank. There's just no set of circumstances. Frank was definitely the most There's vocal. Just, yeah. 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 Who knows? Yeah, Austin, you could say that the rest of your stand. There's just really nothing that makes it okay to just yeah. steal from the band you're touring with. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty <sighs> shitty thing to do. Uh, yeah, so the band kind of, they they were pretty as cordial as you can be when this sort of thing happens. Basically, Mike said, we wish, I wish the band the best, whatever. And the band kind of said, like, they didn't really say anything about, like, his well wishes. Yeah, they were just like, he's yeah. gone. Which, I, that's an appropriate reaction. Don't steal from the people. Don't, literally, don't bite the hand that feeds here. That's, yeah. That's... Mm-hmm. Will you bite the hands of Will you say that I'm Oh, God. Go listen to Nine Inch Nails, part one, Please, part two. Right here on On In Five. <laughs> so they managed to get Jared Alexander, who played in bands like A Static Lullaby and Death by Stereo, and would actually help out members of MCR on their solo projects later. He also laid down all the drums for Throwdown's most recent album, Avow, which is basically just their singer Dave that made the whole album and then got people to fill in on it. But this guy plays drums he on does it. Play drums. And, that's, and that is the most badass straight edge Yay. album from when I was still straight edge. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Keep your crosses up. Keep, keep, keep that shield. <laughs> Rip. Uh, so with the new drummer lined up, they played a show the very next day. They canceled no shows for this, which is super impressive. But, you know, I feel like a lot of like I feel like they could have picked out 200 drummers who could play every MCR song perfectly. Like, you know, because everyone the Black Parade and and three cheers, obviously 
powerhouse albums. People yeah, exactly. It. Like there were so many people who were just sitting like me in their basement that play that album over and over again just because it's so fun <laughs> to play. And so I'm sure that they could have picked anyone out, but they picked out this guy and he did a great job for it. But the inner turmoil between the band only hurt record sales more. By this point, the Black Parade sales were in the millions and they had only sold just over 700,000 copies of Danger Days in the same amount of time. And even though the band said that sales didn't matter, the cracks were getting bigger. Craig Aronson believed that till the day he left Reprise Records that the lack of sales was due to the lapse in time between the records, the this record being released and the previous one. Like he definitely thought yeah. it was because they took too long to release it. Yeah, probably played a huge factor on it. Which is fair, yeah. Yeah. So they ended the tour on May 19th, 2012, having played Helena to Ashbury Park in New Jersey one last time. The show went well, but Gerard felt something while he was on stage. He said even before the show, like he was pacing behind the curtain in the hallway and he just felt like something was off. Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't that, get to the point where he lost himself on stage uh, in a good way. Like he felt as though there was someone else on stage that wasn't a performer. I think we've all had that little feeling where you're doing something and you think, I don't fully believe in what I'm doing right yeah. now or or don't feel right about he, it. He said he could hear a voice in his head before he even started telling him that it was over. So, yeah. 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 Just something kind of clicked and it was like. Good job, man. You did it. Uh, yep. So when they went home, they took some time to decompress. Everyone seeing their loved ones, who by now were almost all living in L.A., with the exception of Frank, who actually stayed in New Jersey because he's a New Jersey punk through and through. And I respect him for it. True. True, <laughs> True. boy. So the band rented out a warehouse to start messing around with ideas for their next album. They brought in engineer Doug McKean, who actually helped with both the Black Parade and Danger Days as their engineer. Frank was making trips back and forth between New Jersey and L.A. quite a lot uh, to work on pre-production and writing. They also wrote a song with rapper RZA. Is there a real RZA? No idea. Okay. Okay. I was going to guess RZA. I didn't know. You know, whatever. RZA. The RZA. RZA. For the song... The Man with the Iron Fists, uh, or for the for the movie, The Man with the Iron Fists, which the song that they wrote actually didn't even make the cut for the album. And he was also doing work on Frank and Weenie. Frank was. Frank was, yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. That's fun. Which is uh, kind of fun. fun. Like Don't Frank Tim on Frank and Weenie. Very. How <laughs> about it? Yeah, yeah, Tim Burton movie. Right up there, Ali. Uh, and actually, at some point during this time, Frank decided to make the move to L.A. himself, so he actually moved out to L.A. as well, but it was all for naught. They couldn't seem to move forward with anything. Gerard was struggling to write again. Everything he was writing was even darker than what he wrote for the Black Parade, and everyone was worried that he was again going to go down a dark hole to find material. And to make matters worse, Gerard began drinking again. Casually at first, just a glass of wine here and there or a beer with his friends, but he quickly found himself going down a path that he found himself in a decade before, which would ultimately lead to the band's destruction. Grant Morrison had been around and had heard some of the material from this album. He said that it sounded like MCR was doing Radiohead music, which apparently they didn't like the idea of it because it wouldn't have been, it would have been very weird. But I love the idea of them doing Radiohead type music. I love Radiohead, so. It would have been fun to Yeah. 
And his take on it, I trust, because he also said when they were working on Black Parade that it made him think of Sergeant Pepper's in the afterlife. So that's a pretty yeah. good take. Seems like cool. he had a pretty, pretty accurate uh, taste for what they were doing. Um, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I would have loved to hear this album because it sounds Same. super cool. But like, I'm very thankful that they didn't make it because like at what point? I'm glad it wasn't the album. Yeah, at, yeah, I'm glad that we got. At what yeah. point, like, is 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 the pain no longer worth? Like, what at what point does it no longer pay off? Like, there's got to be diminishing returns at some point. Where like, if you have to eat yourself up over and over again to try and make this album, like, you're eventually you're just gonna uh, have to kill yourself, or you know, like, or well, just either, uh, start doing really, state like, fair shows. No, I, God, Tony, are you <laughs> predicting that the next My Chemical Romance album we get results I, in the death of everyone no, in the band? Yeah. I sure hope not. I'm hoping that well, the time they took off, but like, eat. what a thing to say, definitely. <laughs> if they had to like, if they had to go into the super dark place again to write an album, and 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 like. It, it might not be worth it. Like right now we're living in ignorant bliss where we don't know what we never got. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. if they would have made it, it may have mm-hmm. been a fantastic album, but they may have like, it may have just done them. There's in. a lot of room for yeah. error there. So I don't know. Yep. So we don't know what it was ever going to be. They actually released one track for it. We'll get to it. I really like the track. Doesn't matter. Um, I just listened to the track for the first time via Tony. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so to buy them time, they went back and listened to the scrap chat tracks for the album that they never released, now being called Just Conventional Weapons, uh, which they decided weren't as bad as they remembered. They decided to release the tracks, but only two at a time, so as to not give the impression that there was any concept between all the tracks or even that the tracks made up a whole album. So they released two songs a month from October 2012 to February. February 2013. I also think that Warner played a part in this. Again, this is just my educated guess. Having done 24, 20, I don't know, 20 something of these episodes now, I feel like I have a little bit of knowledge in the music world. I feel like Warner Brothers played a part in this. I feel like they were trying to get some of their money back that they didn't make from Danger Days. That's not confirmed. Yeah. That's just my hypothesis on that. <laughs> Could have very yes, well right. like, <laughs> From what we know of, of record. Yeah. Because I'm sure the label, yeah. they, the label probably knew it was coming, and they're like, "Well, we need you to do something." Yeah, we need some. Yeah. So yeah, you know, like, oh, you're not doing anything on this album. Like, you're gonna release those tracks. Then, like, we paid money for those. You're gonna release them. Just do whatever you need to do to release them. We just need to get some of our money back. And, and so a fun little did. thing. Uh, Brendan Bryan wouldn't even talk about that album after it happened. He refused yeah. to do interviews about it. So he yep. was not happy about it. He didn't love it. Yeah, a little bum And a month after the last tracks came out on March 22nd, 2013, the band put out a post on their website saying they were broken up. There was no pop in circumstance. There was no big explosion. There was nothing. Uh, very unband-like. It's like a fucking sledgehammer to the temple. <sighs> it hurt just as bad. Uh, they decided hurt. that their dream was dead and that they had done what they had set out to do. While they were sad, they were happy with they, what they accomplished. You know, man, all good things must come to an end. And something sometimes bad things just will not go away. Like Zero. Nickelback. <laughs> God, you go for Nickelback, the lowest. I hate that we've mentioned Nickelback twice in this episode. It's it's yeah, true. Too much fucking it's notice. Just, what do you want me to say? Well, I will you, say you Nickelback to has some bad you want me to say songs trapped? until the I'll say singing. Trapped. Trapped's terrible, yeah, that'd be too. Good. Trapped that'd is, be good. Uh, they're, they're just as bad and won't go away. 
They're really yeah, making they're some giving themselves a ton of negative publicity, getting in feuds with Ice T, getting in <laughs> MMA fights with Danny Diablo. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. Something's got to give, you know. Two something's got to give. Uh, so the world freaked out, spreading this news spread all over the world. It even showed up on legitimate website or news organizations like BBC and Sky News. Like it was legitimate news. It didn't just show up on AP magazine or whatever. Like there was a protest yep. for the band to do one last show that managed to get 20,000 signatures and the and it was shared over Facebook like like tens of thousands of times. Like they people were pretty upset that they just kind of broke up without any kind of announcement. But the band held firm. Mm-hmm. They were done. So uh, they decided that they were all going to do their individual projects for a couple of years. I think Ray put something out. Frank put something out. Mm, Gerard put something out. And I think that's it. Don't quote me. Uh, maybe Mike did. Mikey did or did not. I don't know. But um, a year after the band broke up, a greatest hits album called May Death Never Stop You came out, which had all their hits as well as previously unreleased tracks from their, or as well as a previously unreleased track from their last session in LA, which we just mentioned called Faking Your Death, as well as a couple tracks from the demo that started it all, Death Dreams of Stabbing. And 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 Andor's being stabbed. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And so that was it for My Chemical Romance. That is until July 20th, 2016, when the band put out a simple tweet it was a short video of a waving flag that had an X on it with the intro to Welcome to the Black Parade playing in the background. And people freaked out for this. <laughs> I remember when this came out, yeah. I, it, oh. it, it, it was like the world stopped turning. Everyone was like, they're getting back together. They're getting, they're back, getting together. back together. This is incredible. I was sitting in my, I was sitting in my cubicle and I got a, a text from one of my friends, Brandon, that was like, holy shit. And it was the, a link to mm-hmm. the post and it had been posted less than a minute before that. And I was like, what, what's yeah. happening? The f- what's happening right now? <laughs> like did not do any work no. the rest yeah. of the day. It's just everyone just immediately put their detective caps on and started thinking about it. And, uh, unfortunately at the end of it, there was a date, September 26th, 2016. So everyone held their breath for two months until t- September 26th finally came. And what came out was a 10 year, a little bit of a, a letdown. A little bit of a letdown. Anniversary of the Black Parade. <laughs> Still cool. Yeah, it, was, it was still a cool. A little bit of a letdown. Uh, yeah, it was pretty unfortunate, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, uh, some the uh, the the tenth anniversary album did have some unreleased tracks and rough tracks, and um, it actually had "Who oh, the Five of Us Are Dying," the uh, the original track that the band did for the Black Parade that went on to become Welcome to the Black, Black, Parade. Black Parade. Yeah. So yeah, after that, sorry. oh, you're good. After that, the band once again <laughs> went quiet. That is until Halloween of 2019. An Instagram account God was created. Damn you, fucking universe! <laughs> damn, this is this might be the most heartbreaking thing we what talked about joke. so far. This is gonna be this is gonna be uh, a no. hard last God. page. An Instagram account was created that began posting stories of different symbols, and nobody knew what it was about. What it was about. I think it had the My Chemical Romance name, um, but the symbols were just random symbols. And it later came out that these symbols represented each member of the band. 
then on Halloween, they put up a post that said they were playing a one-off show on December 20th at the Shrine Expo Hall in L.A. Tickets would go on sale the next day at noon. And the 6,300-seat hall sold out in, like, a minute. It went so fast. Seconds. Yeah. People, the, I remember seconds. watching it when, it when it actually went live. And the, and I think it trended on Twitter and everything about, like, how nobody could get, like, the, the site just shut down because they couldn't sell The servers couldn't handle enough. the traffic. Yeah. This was honestly a kind of hard day for me because, like, as much as I wanted to do it, I was like, there's no way. I, I know how these things work, and I knew that it would be one of those things where you set an alarm, you've got it in your basket, mm-hmm. you're ready to hit submit right at noon, and you refresh, and yep. it's gone. And that is exactly yep. what it was. Yeah, it's, it's, the, the fact that 6,300 people even got it is, like, incredible. Like, it was it was essentially yep. a lottery. And, and, yeah. So for the first time in over six years, MCR was back again. They came out looking six years older. Uh, I will say, as my grandmother really enjoys to say, Gerard looked much healthier than he did when he did the other stuff. <laughs> a little chubby, which tubby, is great. Yeah. Don't we're not we're not knocking yeah. that one Healthy, bit. Yeah, that's exactly what he needed. And they played an incredible show. This show was a huge success. I've seen so many pictures, like comparing how Gerard used to look and how he does now, and he does genuinely look so much happier now. Yeah. He yeah. just kind of you can see it on that curtain dropped on the yes. video. Mm. God, so good. good for then him. after that, they went quiet for a couple months. On January nineteenth of this year, twenty twenty, a short video called an offering was put on their official YouTube page. It showed three people in cloaks and masks meeting up at a shrine in the woods. The nine days later, another short video came out called MCR XX. It showed a man in his bedroom changing into a cloak and making his own shrine using five albums from the band on each of the points of the pentagram and using a Ouija board. And that was it. The first album, the first video was like two minutes long. Second video was like 50 seconds long. Then the next day, a 13 minute video came out that followed the man from the previous video as he's made his way through multiple areas, each pointing to a different time in the band's past. All the while, he was being chased by Draculoids. He walked into a wedding, uh, which gets a shot of the husband and the wife or the two people from the Three Cheers album art kissing or almost kissing. So if you know that, they get really close and they have the blood on their face and all. And then he turns around and he sees a dancing corpse, the dancing corpse from Helena. And don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure it's the same person doing the dancing. Nice. Uh, yeah. Tracy. So, gosh, so Tracy. Tracy. It was, um, Tracy. He Bombshell. then finds himself in a hospital with a heart rate monitor uh, sounding in the background and he pulls up a blanket and then the heart rate monitor the goes dead. You know, it goes to the boop. And, and then he's chased by the Draculoids again and then he goes through a doorway and actually he goes through doorways in every scene and all these doorways have the symbol from the Instagram page now being brought to this and if you know if you've looked up anything on MCR recently all the symbols are like all over their uh, all their material has these symbols on them it's like the candle and the hand and stuff like that that's what it is. Um, so then he finds himself in a desert as the Killjoys Trans Am drives away, all the while being chased by Draculoids. He then goes through a doorway where he finds himself at a seance and runs away, this time ending in an arena as triumphant music starts playing. The video then fades out and a list of dates and, appear- and locations appeared on screen. And with that, 
cue me getting so excited, getting so ready, getting so pumped up just to have my fucking balls stomped on with a stiletto heel. Oh my god, dude. That's so exciting. Never been so happy and so fucking mad about something the same goddamn time. Everything could crush it. Our chat thread had never been more busy than it was that day when we were trying yeah, to figure out we were going to a show. So, Jesus Lord. I think that the band knew that they were going to do this all along. I think they knew it even when they were breaking up that they were going to do this. For starters, the Jonas Brothers said back in July of 2019 that the band was practicing in a space next to them, which Frank adamantly denied but ended up being true. You got to stick to the story. <laughs> you got to stick to the story. And, and, uh, and, <laughs> And the and the band actually, or uh, Frank actually said that the, the, he was basically like, "Shut up, you're a Disney band, you don't know anything." It's pretty funny, um, but, but yeah. So you gotta you gotta you gotta make it as believable yeah. as you can when you're trying to stick to your story. Yeah, but it ended up being totally true. But the biggest factor uh, that kind of implied that they were going to come back was that as early as 2006, they said they were inspired by the band that started it all for them, the Smashing Pumpkins, and they wanted to follow that band. Well, if you don't know anything about the Smashing Pumpkins, the Smashing Pumpkins were banned for 12 years before breaking up and then sit, taking a six-year hiatus before coming back together. If we do the math, My Chemical Romance was a band from 2001 to 2013. 12 years. Then they took a six-year hiatus from 2013 to 2019 before reforming. Do you have your fucking red string ready? <laughs> the people oh. were predicting this, that this was going to happen as early as early 2019, and it all came to fruition. God, that's so tight. You know what? They didn't even mention how they have literally mimicked the life cycle of Shrek as well. Shrek <laughs> has came out on the same life cycle. Every time they put out an album, Shrek has came out with a new movie. So, Holy 2020, fuck. Shrek 5. Oh Shrek God. 5. It's Is coming. It, I don't know. Are they, com shit, are they coming out shit. with We're an album? In as far as we can Shrek be. If we, get, if we get suicided oh after my. this, you know what happened. <laughs> We're putting this album out tonight. Listen to us. Shrek 5 is coming. <laughs> So, um, it's, it's very funny. Uh, this is this is a hundred percent true. As of this recording on April 29th, their tour is still scheduled to start on time. That is no longer true. Literally, I finished. I wrote this page Minutes yesterday, ago. and now it is not it is no longer true. It, so, it is 4-29-2020 at eight fifty six Central. Thank you, time. Jeff. We found out this information what forty minutes Jeff ago, thirty Aiken minutes ago. Aiken is a hero. He helped us. Our Thank favorite you. Patreon Jeff member. Aiken. Yes. Um, so, yes, they announced. Actually, they announced a couple days ago. Wait, I got to find. Oh, that's not as cool, but we just found out right yes. now. Um, so, so we'll figure out what we're going to do with all of this. Um, so, two days ago, My Cubicle Romance put out a tweet saying, Quote, due to the current COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, we had to make the difficult decision to postpone our UK and Ireland dates until 2021. We must put the health of our fans and family first. We believe you will understand this decision, which we have labored over. It goes on to say more. That's just a part of it. Um, they will start the tour on June 15th, 2021 in St. Avstel, UK. How about that? God. So, how about this, guys? Assuming, assuming we're still 20 standing. years after the band came to be in 2001, they will once again be out on the road touring. It's incredible. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. 20 years they later. They have yeah. gone no, in, in just 20, 
<sighs> Man, we couldn't have picked a better time to find yeah, this. Yeah, They went from being in a hot, dirty attic recording, now selling out arenas at literally the flip of a switch. And I think that God. is where we leave the post-hardcore punk trendsetters, My Chemical Romance. Oh my God, man! We we couldn't have picked a better time. It just kind of like nine, yeah, kind of like that whole Nine Inch Nails thing. We most bands we do are bands that are past their prime, and we're doing like a history of. But as as same thing we did with Nine Inch Nails, we're gonna leave this here, and we'll probably eventually come back to My Chemical Romance in the future once they've done some stuff and do like an yeah. update. But we're seeing it happen yeah, right this now. This is literally happening real on the way yeah. back. So yeah, I'm not saying we're gonna get. I'm not gonna say we're gonna get Gerard on the show, but you know, we're sure gonna try, we're sure gonna try I mean, we will. It's, yeah. just, it's just a matter of if it's like six it's days or like five it's months. Of, it's, it's a matter five of months when. will be the longest that it'll yeah. take. But it's, yeah, we're gonna, we can't Gerard's gonna sit down. He's gonna talk comics. He's gonna talk about season two of Umbrella Academy, and we're just gonna have a good time. Don't do this to me. Don't do uh, this to me. I, I watched. I watched the first season, and I just need a second season now. I don't. So good. It's so, so good. good. I finished it the fourth it's time. So good. <laughs> I love um, it. Yes. So, uh, 2021, June 2021, they will be going through the UK and through uh, the uh, Ireland as well. I don't think they've called off the rest of their tour yet. I could be wrong there. Um, obviously, like I said, we're recording oh, this man. album on the 29th of April. It could very well come out by the time this episode is released. The, Things are changing by the day yes. in this yeah. environment, so we had some idea. Time. <laughs> we'll, we'll, oh my god, we'll man. put it on social media if uh, if anything does come up in the time that we are doing this. Obviously, you know that we're doing the series now. Um, if you want to follow us anywhere to get that news or any other thing, we put a ton of fun little uh, bits on it. Ethan, little fun facts and stuff like that. Ethan's running our social media now, and he's doing an incredible job for it. So very good. It. He's posting multiple times a day. You're getting a lot of it. Oh, I'm just getting in there, man. I'm getting deep. Yeah, man, you're getting your fingers all dirty. It's really good. So you can find us everywhere, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're on in five, W-E-R-E on in five. We also have a website, we're on in five.com, where we put a lot of more bonus stuff. We put videos and we put like longer articles, things that don't really go on social media, but we'll, you know, we, you can always find us on there and find that on there. If you want to find me anywhere, uh, Anton, I'm Anton is on in five on Twitter and Instagram, A-N-T-O-N is on in five. If you want to find Ethan anywhere, where can you find I am Ethan? On Twitter, you can find me as Ethan Bonin, B-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, I'm Bones for Bonin. I made mm. a Spotify playlist. I, I I know that a lot of people don't have like premium Spotify, so if you have our playlist, you can listen to what we allow you to listen to. So that's kind of fun. And yeah. then, uh, <laughs> you know, we you you listen to for, for our playlist. And uh, yeah. we also, as always, please email us at weareonin5 at gmail.com with anything. Or comment on our pictures or or tweet at us, anything yeah, you want. Anything. Um, and just, yeah, that, we just want some that, interaction. That we just want to talk that, to people. Uh, on and five playlist on Spotify, that is all music that is – it's all – uh, artists that we've covered so it's a variety of music obviously we do a variety of artists and so that's all kind of the highlights of their music and some of the the deeper tracks that you may not have heard before that we really like so please go follow us on there and you know we might might find some new stuff that you really like yes. Austin, Austin what about you where can they find you man 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter as T-H-O-M-A-A-A-F. You can find me on Instagram as Austin underscore Thomas 09. Uh, really, if you're going to do anything, just follow follow the podcast pages. Ethan is doing a great job. You're getting all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff that you would uh, you would not normally see. Um, yeah, and if you uh, feel it in your heart, give us a review on uh, on. Apple Apple Podcast. Just hit those stars. Whatever you think we're yes. worth. Four yes. stars. Two stars. Five, one star. Ten stars. Sixty nine stars. stars. Whatever yeah. whatever you think we're worth. Anywhere anywhere you listen. Not just not just uh everywhere. Not just iTunes. Hit that follow button. Yeah. yeah. Do whatever you gotta do. Yeah, if you don't use tell Apple. Tell your friend. Tell your aunt. Wrong. Tell your uncle. Tell your yeah. grandma. Tell your grandma. I'm just kidding. That's, That's like, you know what? Stay away from your grandma for right Spotify now. And then, and, and then iTunes <laughs> immediately after. Just. I'm totally kidding. I use Spotify yeah. more than I use I Apple. No one God uses Apple. It. Only yeah, rich people them. use Apple. <laughs> yeah. Damn pompous oh, a-holes. Man. Just kidding. Please like us and review us. Um, so I think that's where we're going to end it there. Uh, this has been my favorite series we've done so far. This has been so cool. My One of my favorite bands in the whole world, and I'm so glad that we got to cover them and, and bring all this information to you because you it's been so cool. Every time I up. touch one of the... Every time I touch one of these episodes to edit, I'm like, God, I sound like the cringiest <laughs> fanboy. But I don't this even is, care. This is the most excited I've yeah. ever been to yeah. do something. Yeah. We've so got a couple fun, uh, fun episodes coming up for you in the future. Uh, the next series that we're doing is not really a series at all. We're going to do a couple one-off episodes we will explain at the end of our one-off episodes because uh, it's a big time in one of our lives. So we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for listening to us. Awesome. Why don't you sing us out you. here? Oh, God. Wow. What a fun episode.